All right, we are live. We are live with Bill Barheit. I would I would have gotten that name incorrect. I'm I'm horrible with these names. Uh, it's all good. Of Abra, um, I got to be honest with you. I've never actually used Abra. Uh, I've been hearing about it for quite some time, mm -hmm. and I am very intrigued, very interested. Uh, I'm wondering why I didn't use it during this last. Uh, bear market would have been a convenient tool to use, it sounds like. Uh, I'm so wondering the same thing, actually. So we'll have to dig <laughs> into that. So I, I'm, I'm very looking forward to this episode, learning more about it. And uh, if we could cut right to the chase, actually, there is a sure. rumor that maybe Monero might be kind of more fully integrated into Abra in a, in a, in a, native, in a native way. Is that is that rumor true? Yeah. Is that it, it, it is, and we're working on that. So we're 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 doing it in a few stages. Uh, you can now withdraw Monero to use it for uh, money send purchases uh, or withdrawing to hardware wallets. Uh, that's all live now, uh, and we have people using it, uh, and that's great. And then the next step is to uh, also allow people to deposit um, Monero into the Avro wallet. Uh, that's a few weeks out, um, but um, we will get to it. Um, we're crazy busy right now, but but I love Monero. I think it's a really cool tech, uh, and uh, I'm really excited that um, that we've been able to add this feature. So I, I hope people uh, try it out and give us some feedback. When did that go live? I think it was two weeks ago or last okay. week. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, because I also get the. I have to separate from the marketing message when we send it out to users and when we start testing. Uh, internally, because I see it for a while before the public, and so sometimes it gets my my internal wires in my head get crossed as to when it's when it's public. But I think it's been a couple of weeks now that the public has had it in the app. So okay. if you just download Abra, the easiest thing to do is if you want to try it, it's pretty cool. You just put a bunch of Bitcoin in the app. You can convert the Bitcoin to Monero, and then literally press withdraw to an external Monero wallet, and you'll see how how it works. It's super easy. That's awesome. Um, and yeah. then, like you said, in a few weeks, you'll also be able to deposit with Monero. Yeah, by far the the bigger request was for withdrawals because people want to use Abra to convert existing cryptos into Monero uh, for their purchases and money, whatever whatever the reason. Uh, and um, so, you know, we had that request for a few cryptocurrencies. Um, and if you look at in terms of deposit and withdrawal support, in most cases, the withdrawal requests were like 50x more than the deposit requests because they were looking at using Abra as the vehicle to get that crypto in the first place. And then of course, at that point, the withdrawal mechanism, which is a quasi spend function, you know, is, is, is more important. Awesome. So why, why did you guys, I mean, we'll, we'll get into what Abra is. Obviously we need to talk about that. Uh, but why, sure. why are yeah. you guys, why'd you guys even add Monero? What was the, uh, why do so, you guys like Monero? Yeah. I don't, I don't I mean, think it's that. First of all, I have to put my personal bias aside, right? I'm a, I, you know, I, I am a huge fan of the tech behind Monero. I have a very strong bias as a as a as a cypherpunk, a longtime cypherpunk. Used to have the long hair and the earrings back in the in the in the early '90s. Uh, you know, I'm all about you know the the, the manifesto of of you know information privacy and, and privacy on the internet, and I, I fundamentally believe that that's a, a, a should be a human right. Um, now that aside, what what Abra does is we run a, a crypto wallet which enables people to. Um, uh, and the crypto features, we also have equity features for our non-US users, but for our US users, um, the wallet basically, and our, our global users actually, the wallet allows you to buy, store, hold, transfer between um, 30 different cryptocurrencies. Um, uh, every, the, the largest ones, uh, Bitcoin, Ether, 
of course, Litecoin, Bitcoin, Cash, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then there's a long tail of, of, of currencies and, and obviously Monero and a couple others are at the top of that, like Zcash are at the top of that long tail. And, and you can exchange between any, any combination of the two. Uh, if you're holding Ether, you can go to XRP. If you're holding XRP, you can go to Monero, et cetera, et cetera. The decision in terms of, of, of uh, what we add is, is based on several factors. And, and ultimately, it comes down to demand. Uh, just given the uh, large amount of work involved in supporting uh, all of these cryptocurrencies and being able to exchange between them, manage liquidity, um, you know, it's 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 actually a complex undertaking. And then we have other parts of our business which enable people to deposit fiat via our partners and convert the fiat into crypto. Uh, internationally, outside the U.S., we've launched an equity business which allows uh, via our our Asian subsidiary non-U.S. persons to to invest in equities via crypto, which is pretty cool. Um, and so, so we have to weigh, you know, uh, all of the things we're working on at once uh, in building this kind of crypto bank, if you will, uh, versus, you know, what, what our users really want and, and what would be cool to work on, but maybe no one wants per se. Awesome. And I, I guess we should describe what uh, Abra is so people even understand what it means that you're adding it natively. Sure. Um, if you yeah. want to go ahead and give a quick explanation of how you guys basically function. Sure. So Abra, again, it's a, it's a smartphone-based wallet app, runs on iPhone and Android, that basically allows you in a non-custodial model, meaning Abra is not holding the keys you are, to basically store any of the cryptocurrencies that we support, as well as other asset types. Uh, we support uh, myriad fiat currencies, uh, true USD. Uh, and are adding other asset types and, and, and assets all the time. And you can exchange between any of them uh, within, the, within the wallet. You can send to other Abra users. You can send to external wallets. Uh, you can send to other Abra users just by typing in your phone number. Uh, you can exchange just by clicking on the exchange button and saying, I want to convert my true USD to XRP. I want to convert my XRP to Monero or any combination of that. Uh, and as we just talked about, you can obviously withdraw to uh, external wallets, uh, either for payment or for storing in a hardware wallet, or if you want to move on to an exchange. We also have a lot of users who move their assets onto an exchange, and they treat Abra more like an offline wallet that they can carry around with them, um, which is you know a little bit more convenient than a hardware wallet because you can put it online, uh, but you don't have the security risk of some somebody being able to hack it since um, the keys are are offline. Right. And then so but I, I guess what what the the real kind of difference between you and, and and exchanges and a lot of the other companies out there is that uh you don't actually hold the the you don't actually own these assets as a user. You really kind of always either you only own the native assets, right? So, which are Bitcoin right. so, and soon to be okay. Monero. And then everything else is basically through uh, You'll explain this, but through smart contracts where you, Correct. you feel like so, you're owning these assets, but you're really kind of just leveraging your your Bitcoin or potentially your Monero to yeah. uh, to own those as assets. Yeah, that's right. So the easiest way to explain it is in terms of the equity business we launched. Uh, I'll emphasize, you know, because I know we have a lot of Americans watching that that's a non-U.S. thing, but but functionally, it's 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 important to explain how the smart contracts work. If you want to basically buy, uh, you know, an investment in Apple shares or in Spiders, which is a you know a, a tracking ETF, you basically use Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, to say, okay, here's a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and convert that into a thousand dollars worth of exposure to Apple. 
And um, in the background to you, it looks just like you're investing in Apple. Mechanically, if the price of Apple goes up versus the dollar, you're gonna end up with more uh, dollars at the end of the transaction. If the price versus the dollar goes down, you're gonna end up with less dollars at the, at the end of the transaction. Uh, but all of the settlement and movement is happening based upon uh, Bitcoin multi-sig scripts in the background. And there's lots of uh, presentations I've done online uh, and others in my team have done online. They're on YouTube and Reddit and other places where you can read more about the detailed mechanics of how uh, these smart contracts work. In trading terminology, it's uh, what we call a delta neutral business, which means um, you're not taking balance sheet risk against Abra to get that price exposure. And again, it's a long explanation as to why, but it, we've, we've done this with lots and lots of asset types now, and, and we're really good at it. And the system has worked for quite a while. And, um, you know, our users generally don't have to understand the nuance mechanics of how all this is happening. They just know that if they want to use Abra to get price exposure or to move money or whatever, uh, that it just works. Um, just like when you swipe a credit card, it, it just works. So, um, and then over time, you know, we, we've taken uh, lots of different assets native because um, it's, it's easier to support them native once the volume uh, gets to a certain point. You can't do that with equities, right, because we're not a broker dealer or right. anything like that. Um, but um, So which ones, are that. which ones are native? Hmm. So we've launched um, native withdrawal support for everything, right? Uh, meaning you get native access to every cryptocurrency in the system uh, and soon hopefully true USD as well. So you can actually do true USD withdrawals. But, but if, you, uh, if you're holding, uh, let's say, um, I don't know, Dogecoin on, I don't even know if you have that uh, on yeah, Abra. I, I get that you could, you could retrieve it natively, but you're never actually holding Dogecoin, right? Not until, yet. Until not you yet. Get, okay. Yeah. Yet. You soon you will be able to hold it natively. So okay. the goal is to take all of the uh, cryptos native. Okay. Uh, and, and, and so we're just doing it in stages, like I, like I mentioned. So, uh, cause it's a lot of work. Um, but, um, like I said, most of our users won't even see the difference, uh, once that happens, it's, it's more of a, it's more of an under the hood uh, difference. It actually has a difference to Abra because of the cost basis for us. It actually costs us money to maintain the synthetic assets. But part of the advantage of doing it that way is, is we can roll out new assets very, very quickly and then learn what's interesting to our users. Uh, and then take certain assets native uh, later on if, if, if it warranted, or take them out of the system if they're not, if they're not showing any interest with our user base. So all of the cryptos will eventually, all the cryptos that you guys carry will eventually be native and they'll no longer be synthetic assets. That's right. And then, so That's all right. the synthetic assets that you have or will have, those are always going to be uh, based on smart contracts that use Bitcoin as collateral only, or will eventually you'll be using other coins as collateral as well. Yeah, the system supports uh, Bitcoin and uh, Litecoin as uh, the base asset class, which are which are calling the collateral. Um, almost 99.999% of our users are running that off of Bitcoin right now, but we have the ability to switch users more or less at will to other assets, particularly Bitcoin forks, uh, just because of the way the multi-sig scripts work. Um, we have imported it to other non-Bitcoin forks at this point. Um, the logic, the first logical choice would, would probably be Ethereum uh, because that actually gives us certain capabilities in the smart contracts that we don't get with Bitcoin. Um, but uh, right now, to be honest with you, our system works great. And so there's not a lot of reason for us to be investing uh, in you know, ports that don't really add a lot of value to what we're doing. Um, 
Why, why would a user choose to use like uh, Litecoin versus Bitcoin? Well, we don't give them the choice. Um, okay. That's there's there's business reasons why we would want that to happen. Uh, gotcha. For example, in terms of how the hedging works or mining fees or other things, but none of those things are creating those kind of problems for us right now. So uh, it's it's a good kind of hedge in terms of, from a technology perspective to have that in our back pockets. Um, and um, we've thoroughly tested it. We've been very public about the fact that we've done it. Um, but we haven't had a, a, a big chance, a big, not a big chance, a big reason uh, to switch users uh, onto Litecoin yet, uh, for example, uh, or even porting to another asset like Ether or potentially Monero. But yeah, that's um, that's kind of what I was eventually you know, getting at. Because I mean, I, I ultimately see, I don't, I don't know if you agree with this at all, but I ultimately see Monero, if there is any hedge to Bitcoin in the crypto space, uh, they all, you know, they all seem to follow Bitcoin, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. if you if you had to choose a hedge based on uh technology i i kind of see monero as kind of being the only hedge to bitcoin if you were gonna make that comparison for various reasons uh like on a technical level uh the the differences in the technology and the differences in the protocol so just curious if you guys were ever considering potentially that uh on the back end using monero (laughs) for those purposes if that would ever potentially come into play i I have not been involved in discussions that have done that. I would tell you if I had, it's possible that others in my team have and haven't presented it to me. But um, like I said, I'm a big believer in the obfuscation technology and the way it works. And, and you know, and I'll be honest, I, I, there are things I like about CK Snarks as well. And I know that there's polarization across the communities and I understand that. And I, I kind of respect that because I think that one of the advantages of the altcoins, and this is where I differ with a lot of the, uh, it's Bitcoin or nothing, you know, purists is that, even if some of these altcoins end up disappearing 20 years from now or 15 years from now, I think there's a lot of tech that's being tested, if you will, that is ultimately going to be the cream that rises to the top. And so, and either survives on its own, like I think Monero probably will uh, flourish over time, uh, but could also be integrated into other other assets, whether it's you know Bitcoin or you know whatever the the Facebook coin is that they're going to announce, and 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 we'll see what happens, right? And so. Um, we need that level of technology competition beyond just the testnet level so that we can understand what works and why and what the public wants and what the public doesn't want. Um, and it's very hard to do that in a decentralized environment um, as opposed to a corporate environment. A corporate environment can run user tests and focus groups. And, you know, it's very hard to do that in a decentralized world other than just putting software out there and see what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I suppose from a technological standpoint, too, I mean, obviously, you guys have developed these smart contracts for Bitcoin, so they port over easily for Litecoin, whereas with Monero, you kind of would be developing something from scratch, right, to try to make yeah, the smart I, contract aspect work? Yeah, I'm not an expert on how um, on how scripting works in, in Monero, but my understanding is, is um, it would be a pretty significant rewrite, um, and uh, I have not been involved in any investigation as to how hard that would be to do i believe that it's technically possible but i I, but yes it would it would more or less have to be a rewrite and there would also have to be a good reason i mean i mean the reality is is that in order for a synthetic asset to work in our system it's got to be based upon an asset class that's highly liquid and there is pretty liquid these days it's not as liquid as bitcoin but it's pretty liquid the market cap has to be huge uh, because if I have millions of people doing this by holding Apple sh- exposure to Apple or dollars or whatever, um, I've got to be, a- be able to support millions of people doing that within that asset class. Uh, and so it's 
that part is is pretty hard to do outside of the top three or four cryptocurrencies right now. Um, and then the last part is the programmability around uh, smart contracts, whether it's via multi-sig in Bitcoin or, you know, just normal scripting in, in Ethereum or whatever the equivalent would be in, in the other assets that we might choose to, to use in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those are really the three base requirements that you have for making a synthetic asset work in a cryptocurrency based model. Right. I mean, I guess if it were to happen, it would be interesting to see if somebody in the Monero community themselves did it uh, kind of as a, you know, uh, awesome. an, an Abra for Monero. Uh, I would love that. Um, and I mean, then can, uh, and if it works and we could buy them. So that'd be yeah. cool. <laughs> and then we'd have to start off small, like you said, I mean, because that's what we the, did because of the liquidity yeah. issues. Yeah. Yeah. Look, when we started Abra, we got our Series A funding. I mean, Bitcoin was worth a fraction of what it's worth now. And we kind of predicted to our investors, look, if if this is going to work, the Bitcoin ecosystem is going to have to grow at a, at a pace that either is slightly behind us or certainly at, at par with us. And that's basically is what happened. Right. I mean, you see kind of slow growth in in, in the core uh, capabilities that are released and in a decentralized govern governance free environment, that's probably what should happen. Um, and that's worked for us, right? The exchange-based liquidity has been there. The multi-sig capabilities have worked great. Uh, we've yet to see any significant bug or, or you know, hackability uh, in the network. And, and that just validates the requirements that I just mentioned, really. Mm -hmm. So how did Abra start? I mean, what was kind of like the first... Uh, when did you guys actually first develop these smart contracts? Because that's like yeah. really the core to what your technology is. That was kind yeah, of the breakthrough, the, right? The, the 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 impetus for having a kind of bankless environment for storing assets um, in a self-sovereign way or, or having agency over assets that you manage um, and being able to transact peer-to-peer -peer with those assets really came from my history in payments, banking, uh, and, and money transfer. I've been at this for a long time. Um, you know, I was on Wall Street for a while at Goldman. I was at Netscape, and I worked on developing certificate authorities, for example, back in our original SSL days at Netscape. And so I've seen all kinds of permutations of the tech, but I've also worked on things like money transfer and, and remittances um, in, in developing markets in Haiti and in Mexico, Central America, Philippines. And I wanted to develop a single banking app that really worked like, like WhatsApp does for messaging, but for money, meaning developed for the first time a global app that could function as a WhatsApp for money, whether it's for money transfer and payments, uh, investing, uh, lending, borrowing, if you're from the consumer's perspective, there is no single app that does all of those things. Each Most large countries have one or two apps that do portions of them, right? Whether it's Cash App or Venmo or WePay in China uh, or Transfer in Mexico or you know whatever. There's lots of examples in different countries. So. But there's lots of legal reasons why it hasn't happened in a global footprint cross-border model. And a lot of that just comes down to regulation and trusted third parties versus no trusted third parties or what I call you know, self-sovereignty over your assets. And so the idea of Abra was, can we develop an app that allows me to hold a dollar on a smartphone for the first time? Because if I can put the dollar on this, that means that if I can, and at the same time, if I can transact it peer to peer, like you know, a string between the two at the two phones to move the money, and there's no financial intermediary in the middle, well, then I probably have a model that will work globally peer to peer, and that became the idea of the synthetic asset originally, the synthetic dollar, if you will, 
But once we had created that, which took a while, we realized that we had the ability to basically create a synthetic version of any liquid asset in the world, dollars or fiat currencies, uh, equities, commodities. If it's liquid, and it has to be liquid for, for, for purposes of the hedging, but, but beyond that, it, it would basically work for anything. So not only could we support payments and money transfer, but we could support, um, we could support uh, investing. We could even support um, collateralized uh, lending in, in the system, which is something that I want Abra to be doing in the future. In other words, I could be using that Abra app, put a bunch of money into Apple and borrow against it and, and turn the collateral into a smart contract as collateral. And that's relatively straightforward with uh, a modern smart contract architecture. And so this synthetic asset really um, was uh, the impetus for the synthetic asset was really this idea of how do we build a new type of smartphone app that really gives the consumer agency over their assets, allows them to transact in a true peer to peer model in a decentralized sense, like, like Bitcoin, uh, but in a way that was usable for the average consumer. The original bet was, was that people like the idea of self-sovereignty and agency over their money, but are confused by, you know, Bitcoin, right? If you go beyond the 20 million people that probably have a few dollars in, in, a, in a crypto wallet, whether it's online at Coinbase or, or offline at, at, at Abra, um, beyond that, most people don't understand what we're talking about. And that's the reality of where we're at. Um, and so the idea of being able to have a synthetic dollar if with the right user experience or a synthetic Apple share with the right user experience means that somebody in the Philippines can receive money from somebody in the US peer to peer or somebody in Mexico can invest in Apple shares without actually having to go through their bank or can invest in spiders without having to go through their bank um, and convert those to Monero when they're done, right? And then withdraw it to a hardware wallet. All of that is being done without a financial intermediary. That's the breakthrough that, that that I was going for with Abra. And it's actually, to be honest, really expanded beyond what I thought was originally going to happen. And it's been pretty exciting because we have hundreds of thousands of users all over the world now doing stuff with our app. It's just so cool. So yeah, at what point did you did you see that 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 larger vision of synthetic assets? So you said so kind of the first one was the dollar, right? Did you, did you already know it at that point when you guys are trying to do that? Well, that it was like, I mean, oh, then I also the guy in Venezuela could buy Apple stock. Like at what point? Yeah, was so that the that's a good question. I mean, the vision was there from the beginning. Like I wanted that WhatsApp for banking. That's just, whether WhatsApp for money, WhatsApp for banking. Like that was I've wanted that since the very first regulator meeting I've been in. Right. When I just, you know, was my head was ready to explode after the meeting, probably going back 15 years. First time I came out of a like a, a money transfer regulator meeting when I said they don't understand what I'm talking about. My head's going to explode. You know, and I said, well, there has to be a way for me to do the equivalent of have the cash in my pocket and, and hand it to you. I can't hand it to you right now because you're a flat guy on a screen. And, and so but if I can do that synthetically, like then with the proverbial string between the two tin cups, but but using the Internet. That's interesting, but you can't actually put a piece of paper in the phone. It has to be digital somehow. And that led to the idea of the synthetic asset. But then eventually we realized, hey, this technology really does enable this entire vision, right? The technology kind of caught up or our, our understanding of what we had actually caught up with the vision. And that was a big breakthrough for us. I mean, it was like a real aha moment that we were really onto something here. You know, look, we have to comply with regulations all over the world. And there's no such thing as, you know, a, a regulatory arbitrage system that says, OK, you're free to go do whatever you want, anywhere you want. 
But as soon as you remove centralized custody, as soon as you remove, um, you know, a, a centralized financial intermediary, you're you're largely not completely, but you're largely liberated to enable people to transact uh, in a in a in a mostly self sovereign way, um, and that in and of itself is a big is a big breakthrough, um, and it right sizes the compliance and regulatory oversights uh, in a in in a hopefully manageable and realistic way. Uh, for Abra as we grow over time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So where where are we? This is very exciting. I mean, it is. I think cool. it's 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 very cool because you guys are like kind of uh, living up to the 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 visions of of what Bitcoin was meant to do, right? So it's like becoming yeah. the rails of the of the new uh, financial world and and mm -hmm. uh, Monero as well, hopefully. Um, yeah. So are we at the point where somebody in Venezuela could essentially buy Apple stock through Abra with uh, Bitcoin? Oh, it's happening today. So so this is pretty cool. So one of the things that we see now is, is and this originally happened before we launched the equity product uh, internationally, is people were doing things like going to local Bitcoins, buying Bitcoin, putting it in the Abra app, and then storing it as dollars. Because if you're in Venezuela or Argentina, there's a history of people storing money as dollars, but then the government confiscating it. But they can't do that with Abra because you're holding the keys to those dollars, right? Uh, and and so and and in the stablecoin model, there's still dollars in a bank, right? So that's a that's a kind of a, a financial risk. But with Abra, you're holding the collateral yourself, right? So even if there's you know reasonable volatility in the system, that's the risk you're taking. The risk you're taking is only the volatility of the dollar versus Bitcoin. It's not all of the dollars you're holding because you know there's a hedge in the smart contract. Um, and so that's a big breakthrough. And so now we're seeing it with equity investing as well. But we, we saw it right up front with just people putting Bitcoin in and converting it to, to dollars or euros. Uh, I hate to get ahead of ourselves here, but is there is there kind of a, a world beyond Abra? Do you ever think about that? I mean, like, we, for example, we have BISC, which is kind of transcending exchanges and it's like a decentralized exchange. Is there potentially a more decentralized version of Abra that we may see in the future, something where... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I would like Abra to be a more decentralized version of Abra. I think that there's a couple of things that I'd like to see happen over time. Um, I'd like to see the counterparties to the system, uh, you know, be um, fungible out on the internet. So right now, Abra is the counterparty to the contracts. Uh, I would like Abra to get out of that business. We actually don't make money as the counterparty. Uh, we make money on a spread, and there's lots of ways to do that. You know, you can take a rake by just brokering uh, two parties to come together. Um, and, uh, you know, there's legal issues with doing that in different countries, and we would want to be cognizant of how to do that. But but um, that's, a, that's a much bigger opportunity. And, and, and if it's done correctly, uh, I think a big breakthrough, right? I think decentralized peer-to-peer -peer lending uh, hasn't really been achieved uh, at kind of like Bitcoin decentralized scale. And, and I would very much like to see Abra evolve into something that's much more of a, a decentralized network where we simply become one player on a network that we've enabled for everyone. Our vision was not to own the, the app or the user experience. Our was, vision was to enable that. We've done what we've had to do to be in business so far, dealing with the limitations of the small company, the limitations of what Bitcoin and other technologies can do, limitations of our dependency on exchanges, et cetera, et cetera. But that's going to evolve as well. And, and I think that will enable more types of decentralized services that are more decentralized than Abra is able to be now. Right. And, and um, yeah, I don't know whether that's five years out or 20 years out, but it's going to happen. 
and, and whether it's me or someone else, uh, it, it's going to happen. Does it ever get to the point where the kid in Venezuela can essentially buy Apple stock anonymously? Do you think that we ever I get to that point? I don't see how that doesn't happen. I mean, if you really think it through, um, I think, uh, okay, so there's this discussion going on with the international regulators who basically set global policy uh, around what we call the travel rule and money transfer. And this isn't something that's specific to crypto. If, if you're Western Union or MoneyGram, uh, you basically have to follow, or banks, you have to follow certain rules about knowing your customer's customer, for example. So meaning where did the money come from, but not just from you, but from the person who sent it to you, right? And, and so uh, they have issues related to this in, in their existing money transfer business, but now they're trying to extend those rules into crypto. Right, which is particularly interesting for your community and, and, and our, our Monero community. And and at, look, long term though, those concepts are completely untenable, right? For things that your community and and, and our, our users of Monero and Zcash totally understand, which is that that technology is going to make its way into everything, and you can't stop it. We know that. Okay, so in the meantime, yes, we'll have to adopt technologies because the government tells us to that basically, especially if you're Coinbase and centralized exchanges that say, hey, we won't allow uh, the money to come into the Coinbase account if the UTXO is traceable back to some dark website, right? But, but you know, 10 years from now, that is an untenable request because there won't be any such thing as a, a UTXO set that you can trace X levels deep. That's my prediction. I could be wrong, but that's that's my prediction. So that leads to the answer to your question, which says, okay, once you basically know that movement of the crypto assets can be completely anonymous or will likely be completely anonymous across all asset types that are digitized, then what you do with those smart contracts is private at that point, right? Because two people can basically use a free piece of downloadable software to enter into a bet that say, I think the price, I, the guy in Venezuela, thinks the price of Apple is going to go up. You, the guy in, or the gal in China, thinks the price of Apple is going to, going to go down. We digitally sign this contract, agree on how much of the, of, of the uh, principal goes into escrow, and it's self-settling. And we can't stop it at that point because we both agreed on what the oracle is to determine who's in the money on the contract. So, so that's not possible today, right? But that I, I would be stunned if if something like that wasn't possible in the next three to thirty six to forty eight months, right? And, and it's not dissimilar to what's happening with things like you know Dai and uh, where basically you you have a a an almost completely independent decentralized uh, management free system that pegs the value of a bunch of assets to some arbitrary third party assets, which is another way of asking the same question you asked. Um, it has to happen. I don't see how you don't go from the way things are to that scenario in some way. I just can't see how it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, it seems inevitable. I mean, it, cause it, it just seems like it's the more efficient version of, of what we currently have. I and mean, that's what we're trending towards, right? So it's kind of creating exactly. this more, more fluid economy where value can just be seamlessly transferred from person to person, whether it's stocks sure. or currencies or. Yeah. And I think we're probably in this model for a few decades, maybe even at least for a couple of decades where most people will continue to transact via the models they understand. You know, you go to Fidelity, you go to Schwab in the US or you know, the equivalents in, in Europe and Asia, and, and you basically use your bank account to fund an account. And that, that account 
gives you what you want. But if you're in countries where that's simply not possible because of the corruption, the banking system, you're in, it's, it's, it's just you know, cut off from the third party world and you want to transact, that's where this, I think, will become really interesting. Mm-hmm. And who knows, in some ways they may end up leapfrogging what you know, people in our countries are doing um, out of necessity. From a tech, certainly from a technology perspective, right? Um, but but I think that um, you know nece- necessity here will breed innovation, and as we start seeing corrupt uh, governments that have a history of inf- inflating the value of people's money to zero, uh, you know, and doing it over and over again, we will see solutions. Uh, from technologists who are basically saying, enough, here's a better way to do it. We can compete with the government in a way that they can't stop. Um, And that's not to be anarchist or anti-government. That's just to deal with the reality of what individual consumers are seeing in certain countries. Um, And and so we'll see how that makes its way into our lives, uh, you know, where we do have kind of quasi-efficient banking systems. Um, but uh, it's going to be a really interesting few years for sure. Well, you obviously really get this stuff. Um, I mean, you're obviously a guru in the space. You really understand this uh, on on multiple levels. So, I mean, you know, this is the Monero the Monero Talk Show. Um, we talked about it a little bit. You said you you know you said you kind of have the cypherpunk ideals, but even just on a technological level, and for all these things we're talking about. Do you see Bitcoin's lack of fungibility as potentially being an, an issue or, or, or a hurdle to achieving some of these goals and uh, something that it may not be able to overcome on a protocol level? Do you see that as being a problem? Do you see that as a shortcoming? And then what's when, when you if you do or if you don't, how do you then look at something like Monero that um, claims to be uh, certainly more fungible than Bitcoin. Sure. Now, I mean, I, what I'm telling you now is more personal opinion. I don't think Aber really has a stake in the short term on this question one way or the other. But um, so I'll speak as Bill Barheit, not as the, the CEO of Abra per se. I, I actually do think that the lack of fungibility in Bitcoin is going to become, it's not a big problem now. It's going to become a big problem. Let's look at it in the analog. Okay, if you take the average dollar bill in the U.S. and you put it under a microscope to figure out what's on it, the average dollar bill has illegal drugs on it. It has traces of cocaine. It's got traces of shit. It's human feces. Sorry, it's got traces of all kinds of stuff that would just—it's disgusting. Not not to mention the fact that it's got illegal stuff on there. So what does that mean? So if if you basically paint an analog from what's happening in the crypto world, none of us should be allowed to use those dollar bills, but nobody stops us from using them. We would all laugh if, if we said we should be stopped from using a dollar bill that, you know, 10 holders ago, somebody used to snort cocaine because I have no way of knowing that that happened. Well, in the crypto world, we're actually now starting to get to the point where we're expected to know that that happened or the digital equivalent, right? It makes no sense. So I, I feel like this fungibility issue is just now becoming an issue because exchanges in particular are being asked to police the downstream origin of where people got their crypto. I understand why, again, just going back to what happens in the traditional money transfer world. But as crypto starts to get cycled around and around and around and and people are 
I had no idea who was holding it, you know, two or three people downstream. You're asking people to, to police something that I think at scale is just untenable. Now we deal with it because there's very few people holding crypto in the big picture. Crypto doesn't move around on chain a lot. Um, transactions happen off chain on exchanges. Uh, but that's going to change. And, and as that changes, I think this fungibility issue is going to have to be dealt with head on um, for Bitcoin, but also for for Ethereum, Ether and all the other coins. And I think second layer technologies also represent a significant issue here. Um, and, and I also think that we don't spend enough time thinking through the privacy implications of layer two tech. I think there are PhDs, you know, working on layer two stuff at MIT and other places that that are thinking about it. But I, I, I wish that more people on the application side uh, would also be thinking about it as well. Yeah, it's a, that's interesting the way you uh, describe it. That, I mean, like so like the in the fiat world, I mean, the, the fungibility is essentially mandated. Right. So even if. Um, Right, we we say you have to accept a dollar, one dollar equals one dollar, no matter what, whether you received it from a drug dealer or not, right? And that right. keeps keeps things fluid. Uh, but yeah, in the crypto space, uh, we're trying to use this tech, and do, so do you. But do you think? Because you're you're basically saying you you feel like it will be overcome because once once these things are used at a very high level, once Bitcoin's used at a you know a hundred x to what it's used today. Uh, you'll essentially no longer be able to trace uh, transactions or it would become impractical. Um, so you, you don't think it needs to be I mean, fungible on the protocol level. You think they'll always like it will kind of work itself out in terms of. Well, I don't think it'll magically work itself out. I think somebody's going to have to do something. Okay. Coders are going to have to do something to proactively create capabilities within the protocol that, that make this. Fungible. I don't think there's going to be no, does sprinkled on top it's of Bitcoin just, uh, and all of a sudden makes it <laughs> makes it fungible, right? So it's going to require, you know, uh, in the case of Bitcoin, probably, you know, folks in Bitcoin core saying, hey, uh, I want to work on this and then having the community support it like like any new feature in, in, in the Bitcoin core capabilities. So, so, but I think that there is an analogy, again, in the analog world. If you take $1,000 to your bank and say you want to deposit that, the bank will ask no questions about where the money came from, but they're quite capable of scanning that money to find out what's on it in terms of, you know, all the disgusting stuff that I talked about before, but they don't do that, right? For some bizarre reason, they're not required to do that. And, and I say bizarre because the answer is, is that they will never be able to take a deposit again because every single dollar bill is tainted. So why do we make a difference then for electronic transfers versus paper cash transfers versus cryptocurrency transfers? They should all be the same. And the reality is, is that unless the government explicitly knows that somebody is doing something wrong and has a court subpoena to basically go figure it out, they're wasting time and money with this effort, right? And they're going to lose. The amount of money that we spend on AML and, and AML-related processes versus the... Um, you know, the wins that the government gets as a result is insane. It, it's just the biggest mismatch. The only, the only thing that's probably worse is the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it has to end at some point. And I think crypto is probably the single best chance for, for it to end. Um, and then that points to the fungibility issue, which I think people will ultimately want. They don't understand it. It's just like hacking. People don't understand hacking until they've been hacked. And then it's too late. Right. And so I think that and, and then the same thing happened with Facebook. They abused, you know, a lot of these 
privacy issues enough to the point where people did start to care. At the beginning, a lot of people talked about it, but most people just didn't care, right? It's not like people complaining about privacy and social media is a new phenomenon. What's new is people starting to care, right? And still most people don't care. So yeah, that's the reality, right? There's, there's books out, I, people I know, there's pundits on talking heads on TV, and the average person still doesn't care, but way more people care than what used to. Hmm. And so the, the issue with all this stuff is, is that until it becomes personal, right, uh, it's not. And, and so in, in our world, things become personal because your account becomes blocked for no apparent reason. Um, you know, you can't do a deposit or a withdrawal, uh, you know, or you've been hacked, you know, on an exchange and you can't access your funds, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's when it becomes personal. That's when you start to say, oh, maybe I should have been using a non-custodial wallet for this stuff in the first place. Or right. maybe I should have been using a privacy technology like CoinJoin or something else to move my crypto around in the first place. Um, and so this is where smart developers who have these insights, who understand, you know, what it means, uh, you know, to be a, a cypherpunk should say, hey, you know, if we're in the know, we owe it to the community to have the foresight to do what's right. Right. But you also have to have developers who are excited to work on that because nobody's putting a gun to an open source developer's head and said, go work on this. That, that, that doesn't work that way. So you, you've got to combine. This is stuff that people want to work on with the need right with the foresight and and it all has to come together but it's going to happen for sure very cool thank you for the good answers <laughs> yeah thank you Appreciate uh let's see what uh oh there's there's a question that's been that's been coming up um i guess the withdrawal with uh the fees for withdrawing monero are currently quite high on abra uh, are you aware of that? Yeah. Is that something that uh... I I am? That's something we're working on. Uh, okay. the, the initial implementation, uh, you know, is using uh, it, it's partially based upon our Bitcoin implementation, and so we're trying to undo that. It's going to take a little bit of time, but we will get there. Uh, but I am aware of the issue, and and hopefully it will be fixed very soon. Okay. So how about uh, how about like um, regulations? Uh... I mean, so these these are all like uh, SEC regulations, uh, tax implications. Obviously, these are things that you guys have to deal with on a daily basis. Or is there some kind of does Abra is Abra just like a, a traditional exchange, or is it is it approached a little differently given uh, the fact that it's all kind of based on these smart contracts and not actually uh, you know trading actual securities and things like that. Yeah, so for the native coins, we basically route conversions across exchanges. Uh, so Abra doesn't actually touch the, the assets. So it's, it looks like a little bit like an atomic swap, but it's really actually happening via an exchange partner. So in other words, if you're going from native uh, Ether to native Monero, for example, um, that's not Abra acting as the, the counterparty. It's literally just happening on an exchange. Um, and so that's the... The, the process there. But in terms of the, the legal question, look, I mean, we have customers all over the world and it's a it's a never ending process to work with regulators to we have lawyers in many, many countries at Abra um, and we have operating subsidiaries which have their own their own lawyers as well. And so I'm constantly talking to regulators about educating them about what we're doing. Many are still in learning mode. Um, and so, you know, we talked to all of them, uh, you know, obviously everybody's seen what's, what's happening with Kick and, and the SEC there. And uh, it will be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I'm very surprised at how publicly it's playing out. But, um, you know, uh, it, it actually, of course, makes it more interesting. 
But um, we've been as reasonably cautious as we can be and proactive as we can be in getting out in front uh, of, of, you know, all of these issues. So, for example, with our equity product, uh, we filter out U.S. users because U.S. law is very unique in terms of what we're doing there. Uh, and then our lawyers are, are engaged to basically figure out a model that would allow us to eventually and hopefully launch that product to U.S. Uh, persons as well. Um, and so it's just one of those features where if you're you know, using Abra and you're a, a Singapore person, uh, you actually see a slightly different version of Abra uh, than if you, you know, a U.S. person. We try not to do that. Uh, but you know, we also are committed to obeying local laws, right? So, um, by and large, uh, it does turn into a single app globally, but there are a few exceptions. Mm -hmm. And then how about, uh, I hate to call it privacy coins cause I, I don't really like to call Monero a privacy coin. I just, you know, I just think it's digital, digital cash. It's a cryptocurrency. Uh, are you guys thinking about, um, about those differently because of regulations as well? Is that, is that? No, I mean, once, our, our model is a little bit different because it's non-custodial, right? So, so we're fully committed to the user being in control of their own assets. And so if you have the keys to your Monero, uh, what you do with that, you know, it's up to you to obey the law. Just like when you have $100 in your pocket, it's up to you to not break the law with $100 in your pocket. And so I don't think there's any regulator that I've spoken to or heard of that has expressed concern with users using uh, what you're calling a privacy coin uh, on their own in a non-custodial peer-to-peer model. They do express concerns about banks and exchanges getting into that because of things like the travel rule that we talked about before. But I, I also believe that that's a, a short-term kind of sub-10-year problem that's probably going to go away. Uh, I could be wrong. I could be naive. But I, again, I think that they're going to fight a losing battle on term on that. But, I, but the non-custodial model, I think, is fundamentally different. Um, because at that point you're saying I, as a consumer have agency over my money, but I also have agency over the idea that I shouldn't break the law. Uh, and, and then at that point it's up to me to not break the law, not up to Abra to basically guarantee that I don't break the law because Abra's not holding my money. Right. Gotcha. And then, so in terms of the smart contracts is, I guess a few questions is, is anybody else doing anything similar to that? Is that, uh, is Abra um, kind of the one and only and that's, yeah. Uh, I have heard of a couple of companies that are trying. I haven't seen anybody getting any traction. Um, there's a lot of moving parts that have to work correctly. I think if you look at the die model, there's some overlap in terms of our philosophy, in terms of, of how their stuff, how their synthetics work and how our synthetic works. Um, you know, I haven't seen the details of, of Facebook's announcement yet. Uh, we'll see what they come up with. Uh, but that's probably more of a, just a traditional stablecoin is what the rumors are. So, so we'll see what happens. But um, you know, stable coins are just that it's cash in a bank and that's either, you know, in, in the U S treated as a money transfer product or an e-money product in international markets. And so, um, there are synthetics in kind of traditional wall street trading that are not based upon crypto. They're just based upon underlying fiat positions that are stored in accounts. Right. Uh, but that's, that's, you know, not what Abra's doing. So I do think what we're doing is very unique, uh, at least so far. Are you guys like filing patents? Is it, are you, is it open source? Is it uh... Yeah, we're really not looking to patent up here. Uh, we really want to build and, and be, you know, a, a good uh, steward of the, of the overall kind of cryptocurrency ecosystem and programmable money ecosystem. And um, I don't think that Abra's success is going to be based upon protectable IP anyway. 
I think it's going to be based upon solving consumer problems uh, and our ability to um, give consumers a really good product that they are excited to use, not because we have some patent that everybody's going to have to pay me, you know, a tenth of a penny on when they do a P2P transaction or some nonsense like that. All right. I mean, I think we basically covered it. That was yeah. <laughs> that was great because I know you've been on a cool. lot of shows, so people have certainly heard um, a lot of the basics of Abra. But I wanted to kind of take obviously the Monero angle here, which I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing the good news that it's going to be uh, added natively, which is very exciting. Anything, anything yeah. else you have that you want to talk about uh, in terms of Abra or Monero? No, look, the Monero uh, community has been really supportive of us over the years. Uh, you know, um, uh, so, uh, you know, Ricardo and I talk uh, every once in a while and, um, you know, we hang out a couple times a year and I've always enjoyed that. And, you know, I get into interesting discussions about where the, all this is going. And uh, and so I'm really excited about, you know, where we're going um, with these capabilities. And look, we're a very feedback driven company. And so the one thing I would definitely say is, is that, um, you know, keep the feedback coming. We do pay attention. We read it religiously, uh, Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, all of it. Um, and so, uh, or our blogs, you know, people respond there too. And, um, you know, it definitely impacts our roadmap for sure. I know I personally will be paying more attention to Abra and uh, I look forward to using it once it's completely native, um, putting some Monero on there. And cool. seeing what I can do with it. So hopefully, eventually, cool. being able to buy, uh, I don't know, some Tesla stock down down the line. There you go. Down the line. There you go. Um, that would be that would be amazing. Yeah. I look forward to that. Well, thank you again. Thanks for the great technology. Uh, thanks for uh, doing everything you do. I appreciate. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been a bit of, it's been awesome. All right. Thanks, Bill. Have a good one. Oh, cool. Denver. Are you going to Denver? No, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I wish I was. I wish I All was. Right, I got, got, I got, I got, we, we have the, do you know what's, we have the Monero conference in, in Yeah, Denver no, I know what you're talking okay. about. Yeah, okay. unfortunately, I, I won't be there this year, but I'd love to go next year. So let's I'll make sure I, I work it out and um, plan better in advance. Okay. Well, for anyone that's listening, just a reminder that the Monero conference is happening in Denver on June 20th, I believe. I'm, whatever right. google it and then uh right. we're, we have the we're throwing the the uh the pre or actually the first night we're throwing a party we rented a house in denver for oh. kind of a little little house party monero house party for the uh first night for everybody that'll be attending the conference so super cool google now i'm that. jealous <laughs> all right bill thank you hey thanks for having me yeah. on all right thanks good luck take care